Okay, good morning everyone. It's good to, just to see everyone here today. Thank you to John and to just the music team for leading us um, so well so far uh, in our service. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, you are extremely welcome. Hopefully you are made to feel at home in Bethany Church. If you arrive today and forgot about lunch, I'm sure there's enough food so you can come and join us, I'm sure. Um, today we're starting into a new series in the book of Acts. Let me just flick these lights off at the front. Hold on, let me see. There we go. Because sometimes it's hard to make out uh, the screen. Um, having gone through Luke's gospel together last year, it follows on nicely now that, you know, as a church we move into Acts. Um, I would be encouraging you all just um, to read through this together as we start into our new series. Maybe you've read through Acts many times before. Maybe you've just dipped in and out. You've never read it the whole way through. As we start going into this series together, start Acts chapter 1, read the whole way through uh, to Acts chapter 28, and be praying that God would speak to you, speak to us as a church as we move through this book together. Today's going to be um, just an introduction. I'm just looking at Acts, and um, we're going to look at the first few verses of chapter 1 together. I'm not going to go into those in too much detail. I'm going to look at some of the big themes that are in there in Acts, and we will be looking at these in more detail over the next year as we move our way through this book. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, we're going to read um, just the first 11 verses together. In my my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, is the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two right-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Let me just pray as we um, get into this together. God, I thank you for just today. I thank you for just being able to come and meet together. I thank you for our church family. I thank you that we can be here and just to worship you and to read your word together. God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would just challenge us, that it would be your voice speaking and any of my rubbish nonsense would be forgotten. So God, just come and just minister to us through your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Drop this a wee bit. So we saw um, just at the end of Luke, after Jesus' death and resurrection, how he left his apostles with this promise that he's going to send the Holy Spirit before he gets taken up to heaven. 
But this is not where Luke wanted to end his writing to us. And so, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes a second volume, which is the book of Acts, about all about what the early church was doing. The events that Luke records uh, likely occurred between AD 61-63, with the book ending while Paul is in a second year of house arrest in Rome. Acts is full of puzzles and problems that the church faced both then and today. Problems with leadership, money, ethnic divisions, theology, ethics, clashes with political, religious leaders. So it's comforting to know that normal church life, even at the time of the first apostles, wasn't easy and it wasn't without its problems. Just as it's encouraging for us to know that even in all the difficulties that they faced, this church was still able to take the gospel forward. This church was still able to thrive. Acts is a story of the early church, but it's not just a story for history. It's a story that Luke wants us to read. He wants us to become part of this story ourselves. And whenever we get to the end, later on in the year, in chapter 28, we're going to see that it's not really an ending. The story continues with us. We are part of it. We are that next chapter. And we are in the middle of the action, what God is doing in his church today. And Luke wants us to understand two things as we move through the book of Acts. Firstly, everything is based on the resurrection of Jesus. In the last chapter of his gospel, he describes some of the scenes in which Jesus met his followers after he was raised from the dead. Jesus really was alive. He's in a transformed body. He could eat, he could drink, he could walk, and he could talk. Jesus was alive. And the point of the resurrection itself is that without it, there's no gospel. There's no ongoing work of Jesus for us today. Without it, there would only be the sad memory of a great but failed teacher would-be Messiah. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of God's new world. And these are the opening scenes that Luke is recording for us here in the book of Acts. And the second thing that Luke wants us to take hold of, which he gets straight to right at the beginning, is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And these followers of Jesus are about to discover the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit in a new and powerful way in their lives. And what we will see is at the heart of Luke's book is that God is at work and he's doing a new thing in the world. You know, I wonder if you have ever really been excited about something. Perhaps you've seen or heard something and you've thought, you know, I like the sound of that or I have to go and check that out or I would love to be a part of that. It could be as simple as you're excited about a new TV series that's coming out. It could be that you're excited about your team playing in a cup final this afternoon. Jack, have I got your attention? Yes. Are you excited or worried? Worried, worried okay. Uh, we get excited about lots of things. It could be excited about going on holiday in the summer, you know, just getting away, away from that normal routine, the guaranteed sunshine, change of scenery. You could be excited about maybe starting a new job. We get excited about lots of things, don't we? Yeah. I wonder, do you ever get excited as you read or you hear the incredible stories of mission and what God is doing, maybe in other parts of the world, in other parts of this island, through local churches? And maybe you think to yourself, you know, I would love to be part of something like that. I would love to see something like that happen here. Maybe it's you're excited about another church, thinking, oh, that's amazing what's happening there, or a different youth group. I'm sure most of you will have heard by now um, of what's going on in Asbury University in Kentucky over the past number of weeks. Ian mentioned this last Sunday, and I thought, oh, he's mentioned it, and I'm going to say it this Sunday, but I had this plan, I'm sure, before Ian had, okay? So I told him I'm going to go with it. Um, but 
some students were praying and they're worshiping God around the clock. On Wednesday, the 8th of February, a revival flame began to flicker. The first picture on the screen, it's a bit hard to make out, but it shows the chapel immediately after the usual worship service finished a few Wednesdays ago. Nothing impressive, just another day. The students have been in there and they've left the building. But for unknown reasons, the students started coming back. Why? It must be the hand of God was involved. They asked the professors if they could return, and within a few hours, this is what the place looked like. This is after they had been in and gone, and they returned. Just a wee quote from it says, it hasn't stopped since then. 24-7, people are coming here from all over the campus, the town, from all over the country and world. It is clearly an outpouring of the Spirit, but beyond that, we are refraining from calling it anything else. History can define it as it will. The hunger of people coming from everywhere is enormous. It is characterized by exuberant worship, empowered by the Spirit, led by students, no production whatsoever. There's a lot of prayer being led all over the house. There are testimonies given throughout the day. It is the holy love of God rising like the tides and rolling like the waves. Someone else comments, it's been enormously disruptive to the life of the school, but no one seems to care. There is a vigilance of love supporting these students. Pete Gregg, who some of you will know, the founder of 24-7 Prayer, he headed out last week, not to be there as a name, but just to sit and observe from the background. And, and this is what he says. For a few extraordinary hours on Sunday, the Kentucky police shut the roads into Asbury. The crowds coming into this tiny town, a population of 3,686, just 2.6 square miles, had finally hit some kind of negative inflection point. One of the leaders reckons 100,000 people may have arrived in the last 13 days. He says, I've never seen anything like this. Worship rises into the night from the vast crowd snaking around the park in front of the auditorium. They wait for hours in the cold to spend a little time in the sacred atmosphere of gentle, low-key worship led by students within the auditorium and its three overflow venues. He says, I'm naturally skeptical, but something is taking place here that I can't explain. Honestly, it's the sort of thing that I've read in history books, the sort of thing that preachers in future generations may one day describe with awe. There was a day way back in 2023 when the police shut the roads down because so many people were coming to pray. Wow. Hearing that, reading that, following a little bit about what's happening, I just can't help but think to myself, I would love to be there. I would love to be part of something like that. And I'm asking you the question, does something like that make you excited? Whenever you see what God is doing, whenever people are coming together and the Spirit of God is real and powerful. You imagine if that was to happen in Strand or Queen's CU or here in Bethany Church today. You know, rather than heading around the corner for some sandwiches. I've put that thought in your head, thinking that's going to keep you. But, you know, we come back in, we get out to the foyer, we get out to the streets, but we come back in here. And we keep worshiping and we keep praying and people are sharing. This all started with people responding to the word of God. And they've been praying, they've been repenting, they've been worshiping ever since. The spirit of God moving in a powerful way. And you know, as I read through the book of Acts, I, I get excited about all the incredible things that I see happening there. The passion, the simplicity, the unity, the hunger, the power, the fruitfulness, despite all the opposition that the early church is facing. And it makes me think, you know, I would love to have been there. I would have loved to have been part of that. 
to be part of the early church with all its innocence of the infancy that seems such a far cry from where we are at today. And you know, if I'm being honest, there's times whenever I've looked around and I've thought, surely there has to be more to church than this. You know, at times I get disappointed, I get discouraged. You know, why can't the church, why can't we be more like what we see in the early church, that passion, that hunger, real? And maybe at times you feel the same. And I think, you know, we need to be honest to ourselves. We need to ask ourselves this question. Are we being honest? Are we being real as we try to live out being the church? Are we just playing around at it? Has the church become what we have manufactured it to be? Just by ticking the church box as we gather together for a few hours on the Sunday, maybe a few extra bolt-ons in the middle of the week. And I think if we are just playing around at being the church, you're only ever going to end up being disappointed and disillusioned with it. Now, I'm not saying the early church was perfect. It still had its problems like we do today. If you read through the rest of the New Testament, Paul is writing to them. He's rebuking them in his letters. But what we will see is the early church that was very much alive. It was very much on the move. And as I read through Acts and imagine, you know, what would it have been like to have been part of the church back then? I have to stop dreaming and realize that there's actually so much that we should be excited about right now. There's so much that we should be excited about as we take hold of the fact that we are the continuation of all that happened before. And what we need to do is to faithfully live out being the church today, to be the church where God has placed us right here, right now. A church filled with excitement, a place with a love for the Word of God, to be a house of prayer, a close-knit community like we see in the early church, a commitment to love and serve and care for others around us, to take hold of this baton that has been passed on for us to live out Jesus' great commission, the great commission that the early church devoted and gave their lives for, it is still our great commission today. You see, the book of Acts, it's a, it's a story of power. It's the acts of God's people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Warren Wearsby, he says this, that as God's people today, we too share the same spiritual dynamic that energized the early Christians. And if we are submissive to the Holy Spirit, we too can be adding new and exciting chapters to the story of the church. We can be doing that right here on this island. We can be doing this right here in Finnecke. Tom Wright, um, in his commentary, he says this, The book of Acts is full of the energy and excitement of the early Christians as they found God doing new things all over the place and they learned to take the good news of Jesus around the world. And the whole book reminds us that we too are part of the story. And so my prayer is that as we move through the book of Acts is that we will learn from the early church as to how you and I, as to how we are to live as being the church today. In Acts, there are many key essentials, both from the church then and now. And we're just going to look at some of these as we move our way through the series. I'm going to just refer to a few of them here this morning. And one of the big ones is the, the power and presence of God, the Holy Spirit. The demonstration of God's purpose through his power and his presence. Acts is a continuation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, released not just through Jesus, but this is released through all the believers. And just as the Gospels relate to how the person of Jesus can't be separated from his purpose, 
So we see the church take up this same identity in Acts. Acts starts with the ascension of Jesus. We read that right here in chapter 1. Jesus' presence telling those who are there that they're going to receive power whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon them, that they're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, throughout the rest of the world. That is their purpose that has been given to them. And after saying all of this, Jesus is raised up to heaven. This is again the sign of the power of God whenever Jesus ascends to heaven. And the continuation of purpose and presence and power, it's repeated again and again throughout the book of Acts. Purpose, presence, and power. We will see this in a couple of weeks' time whenever we look at the birth of the early church in Acts chapter 2. And Saul, in Acts chapter 9, whenever Saul has this powerful encounter with the risen Christ, whenever he is called to salvation and ministry, on and on this theme repeats itself throughout the book of Acts, demanding us to answer how God is personally revealing his purpose and power to the church today. How is God revealing his purpose and power to the church today? And the book of Acts presents to us such a, a rich theology on the Holy Spirit. Augustine said this, what the soul is in our body, the Holy Spirit is in the body of Christ, which is the church. And Jesus promises his Holy Spirit to all the believers here at the start of Acts. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers the church. It's the one that empowers us to live transformed lives. It's the one that helps the church to evangelize the world. The Holy Spirit is the one whose power enables the, the spread of the gospel and the kingdom. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live godly lives. Um, J.I. Packer, he said this, the Christian's life in all its aspects intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Holy Spirit can initiate and sustain. So apart from him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. We need the Holy Spirit. The church needs the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at this more in a couple of weeks' time whenever we see the Holy Spirit coming in a powerful way. Another thing that we see in Acts is that of prayer. Prayer supports everything in the book of Acts. It's not private prayer. It's not meeting Jesus alone. But rather, the, the book of Acts teaches us the value of corporate prayer. And prayer is intimately connected to what I said about God's purpose, his presence, and power. Another quote for you says, Acts is a workshop on how to meet God and actively wait on the Lord together. And we see how important prayer is. The first thing the apostles do after Jesus ascends to heaven is pray. I know Jack's going to touch on this more next week, hopefully, so I'm not going to say too much on that. But what are they praying about? There's 120 believers, they're, they're gathered together and they're praying that God would show them who's the right person to replace Judas. So in an upper house, in a room somewhere in Jerusalem, the believers are praying and God shows up. They're praying and God shows up. You know, we know the stories of the Holy Spirit coming like wind and mighty and fire, but how often do we discuss the prayer, the power of prayer among the believers? This is what they're doing here whenever God shows up. Prayer is a gateway linking us to God. The early church followers described prayer as being united with the Lord, and that's what we see here happening in the book of Acts. Prayer, it's being in God's presence, and it's how we seek and find the purpose and power of God. 
Whenever we get to Acts 13 later on, there's another prayer meeting taking place in a church in Antioch whenever God selects Paul and Barnabas to lead this missionary expedition. And it's the very first of its kind. And what we see again happening here is the presence of God revealed his purpose. They're there, they're praying, and God reveals his purpose. So if you want to know what God wants you to do in your life, if we want to know what God wants us to do in the life of our church, we need to spend time in his presence so that he can reveal his purpose to us. And for us to discover this as a church, we need to be meeting corporately to pray together. As you read through Acts, that's what they're doing. They're gathering together. They're meeting together as a large group, and they're praying, and God comes, and he reveals his purpose to them. Acts is full of prayer and action. We see a church that is committed to being in God's presence in the form of prayer, and God meets them this way. And whenever the Holy Spirit comes in power on the day of Pentecost, what's the church doing? We will see they're in full-on prayer mode. The early church was devoted to prayer. They're faithful in praying for each other. They're faithful in praying for the spread of the gospel. In Acts 4, we have this wonderful prayer where they're praying for God to give them boldness as they share the gospel. So today, are we devoted to prayer in the same way? Do we bring all our needs, our worries, and joys to God? Are we praying for boldness as we live as Christians in a world that is broken? Are we praying for boldness as a church to go out and share the gospel with the people around us? Discipleship communities. Jesus' command to the disciples in Matthew 28 is to make disciples, not simply believers, but disciples who give their lives completely to the purpose of God. The leaders in Acts, they have this huge problem. What do they do with 2,000 new Christians? Immediately, they organize them into groups, large and small, to make disciples of these new believers. Acts 2, 42 to 43 tells us what the group were doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. You know, in church today, how do we make and keep disciples? It's not easy. You can go to Faith Mission Bookshop, or any other good Christian bookshop. And there's many books telling you as a church how we can make disciples, how you can retain disciples. But, you know, one of the things I believe that the church struggles with is being deeply connected. That's one of the big problems, I think, in church today, the problem of being deeply connected. You know, not just being around each other and passing each other by as we come and go on a Sunday. More than that, just how are you question, followed by a I'm fine response. You know, I use it all the time. You know, I'm, you might ask me, how are you? I'm fine. You know, it's my go-to answer. Maybe it's your go-to answer as well. But, you know, more than that, you know, confessing our sins. The guys shared about that a few weeks ago, what they're doing in locker room. Confessing sins, sharing victories, defeats, sharing our lives with one another. I like this here quote. It says, We will not have a powerful corporate prayer life until we have a powerfully connected corporate life. You know, how do we expect to have a real and powerful corporate prayer life as a church if we're little more than strangers? Another quote for you. I've got quite a few quotes in here this morning. So, um, says this here, discipleship has been made into a personal walk with Christ, and it's not. The book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts, you will find groups of people following the Lord together. From day one, the church 
is about community. You know, why is it that loneliness and disconnection are rampant both in society and also the church? The greatest church, the gift the church can give is this discipleship community. You know, more depth in the Bible, prayer, a deep commitment to sharing life and being connected to one another. The community presented an act shows an ideal world where individuals bear one another's burdens. They provide physical and emotional support during struggle, and they live in a state of generosity. This is the type of community that humanity craves. This is the type of community that we see here happening in Acts. And we have this opportunity to create a similar community here in church as we as believers become the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that's broken. So please do join with us today after church as we go around and as we have lunch together, as we spend time with each other, as we listen, as we talk about the important stuff that's going on in each other's lives, as we really get to know each other, as we see how we can be better at supporting each other, both prayerfully and practically. Um, something else that I think is great for community and churches, small groups. I'm going to do a little bit of a plug here. We're starting into a new series, a new season of our small groups next week. We're going to do a wee bit of a shuffle, reshuffle. If you're in a group, we look forward to seeing you again. If you're not in a group, why not? Why not join with your church family as we meet together to pray, to study God's word, as we enjoy fellowship, as we strengthen relationships don't let the reason of, you know, I don't like small groups stop you from being part of one. Just because you mightn't like them, it doesn't mean they're bad. There's lots of things that I didn't like, but they were still good to, for me. I never used to like listening to my parents. I didn't like going to school. I didn't like doing my homework. I didn't like revising. I didn't like going to bed when they told me to go to bed. But within time, I learned to appreciate that these things were actually good for me. So what I'm saying is that small groups are good for you. They are a great learning community where different generations in the church can grow together. We need all generations involved. We need older Christians loving and pouring into the lives of younger Christians. We need younger Christians involved who, who love and encourage older Christians. You know, don't just keep all the things that you know about following Jesus to yourself. Share it with other people. Our Sunday morning format doesn't allow for us to do that well. We come and we sit and we listen. We don't really get to share all that we have learned as we have journeyed with Jesus, maybe for an entire lifetime. So come and share with each other. If you're not sold in small groups, here's a few reasons why you should be. They encourage close relationships and essential community. They provide a perfect way to care for the needs of people within church. You know, if a person in your group is struggling, it's easier for people in that group to take notice, to help. A small group is essentially a community of believing friends who are able to help each other, both physically and spiritually. It's a really good context for Christians just to live out our faith. They allow for focused prayer as we share what is going on in our lives. They allow us to learn from each other. You know, it's not just the person at the front who can teach. The Bible tells us that God gives spiritual gifts to all believers. These gifts are the benefit from the whole church. In our group, we've got a wide range of people. You know, I learned so much from the, the wisdom and the, the godliness of, of Stena, of Mar from Margaret, as they have so much Bible knowledge, and whenever they share and contribute, I learn from that. It's a really good environment for us to be doing that. They encourage better learning. Listening to a sermon is great, but if I'm being honest, most Sundays, I will switch off at some stage during the talk. 
It doesn't matter who's speaking. It doesn't matter how good or bad that person is. I will switch off. Be honest. Put your hand up if you switched off at all this morning. Okay, yes. I've even switched off a little bit myself. You know, my mind wanders. We become passive listeners, but not so in a small group. There is active involvement. It's an effective way to learn. They provide a source of encouragement and accountability. You know, it's easy to slip in and out of church unnoticed. But we all need accountability in our lives. We need encouragement in our walk with God. We need help. And small groups provide an ideal environment and platform for that to happen. You know, I would say that I learned, I grew the most in my faith. Not by sitting, listening in church on a Sunday morning. But by being in a small group setting. At EBR. I can remember many good small group nights when we discussed all sorts of different things. Camps, youth weekends, on teams, at CU, being part of all our small groups. You know, the early church, they didn't just meet together once a week or for a midweek prayer meeting. They were committed to meeting each other every day, encouraging each other, learning together, worshiping God. They were in and out of each other's homes as they did life together. Now, this doesn't mean to say that we have to go to church every Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. But these believers, they clearly placed a high priority on community and fellowship as they met in many different settings. So let me ask this question. Do we place the same priority and value on meeting together in this way? I have another quote from you by Craig Grushel. I've quoted him quite a few times before. And he says this, listen to this really carefully, I found this really challenging. The first century believers desperately needed each other, and they knew it. And believers today desperately need each other, and they've forgotten it. Speaking about the first century believers, the early church, he says, they couldn't be spiritually strong and victorious and close to God and overcome the temptation of the evil one and have the strength to be a light in the world without the family of God and they knew it. And it is exactly the same today. And so many Christians have forgotten it. We need each other. We need community. We need that belonging. They are vital. We can't do it alone. One hour on a Sunday is not enough. It is never going to be enough. And if we are content with that, I guarantee we're going to have problems because this approach is the complete opposite to what we see going on here in the early church. Don't worry, I'm looking at the clock here, but I want to keep going with a few things. Mission and evangelism, it's a big theme that runs right through the book of Acts. Jesus leaves the church um, in Acts 1, verse 8, with a commission to tell the world about him, to be his witnesses. Chapter 28 closes with Paul in Rome being a faithful witness to Christ in the most powerful city, on the earth. More missionary journeys take place in the book of Acts than anywhere else in the Bible. Mission and evangelism are core to the identity of the church because it is part of God's purpose. From the beginning to the end, Acts is a story of how God is calling more and more people to himself. And as followers of Jesus, we are to play an important part in this unfolding story. You know, Acts doesn't allow us to consider the power and presence of God separate from the mission of God. As the church did mission and evangelism, we see that every day the early church grew as more and more people came to faith in Jesus. Of course, it was God who's behind this rapid growth, but God uses people like us here in Bethany to carry out his will. 
And those people who were observing the Christian community, they must have saw something that was really attractive, really beautiful as they looked on from the outside to see what they were doing that made them want to be part of that community. You know, who wouldn't want to be part of a community that was generous, a community that was thankful, a community that was truly committed to the cause? They practice what they preached. They didn't just talk the talk, but they walked the walk. Mission and evangelism are just as important today in the church. We are all called to be involved in this. You are an evangelist in your school, your workplace, your gym, your sports club, your neighborhood, in your family. Maybe you are the only Christian that is there. You are an evangelist there. And in Bethany, it's not just something that is done by a select few group of people. We're all called to be involved in this. There's many ways we can be doing that in Finnecke. We're going to be doing evangelism at Easter as we go out through those doors into the community, as we serve and love the community, as we tidy up, picking up some rubbish, as we pray, as we teach or coach kids how to play football, as we tell them about it, Jesus, we're doing evangelism. You've already heard about what's happening in the summer. Crossroads. If you're over 17, we show of hands. Who's over 17? Hands up. Okay, I know everyone here is pretty much over 17. You could be involved in Crossroads. You can sign up. You can serve here in Finicky. You can do evangelism in this community. So please do get yourselves along. I know Luke will be grateful for that and Raquel and the others as well. If you're struggling to find something to do, come and speak to me. Another thing um, that is big, um, just as we come to an end here, is teaching. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul described the church as a, a building built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Luke tells us that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. What we now have is the New Testament. They listened, they put into practice what they were learning. You know, are we reading, are we learning from God's word in the same way? Are we devoted to listening and learning and letting what we hear change our lives? The apostles had seen the gospel lived out in front of them in the person and work of Jesus. His miracles, his teaching, his dying on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his sending of the Holy Spirit. We know that at the core of their message was the gospel story itself. Jesus had passed on his teaching to them, not just by his words, but also through his actions. We know after his resurrection, Jesus taught them about how the all of, the Old Test, all of the Old Testament pointed to him. The whole story is about Jesus. He is the Messiah. So we can clearly see at the core of the apostles' teaching is the gospel of Jesus, the full good news story. And while we know that the gospel was central, it's not the only thing that they were teaching. We know from Acts 1, for 40 days, Jesus, he's with his disciples and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Essentially, Jesus is teaching these disciples, these followers, what it looks like to live in God's kingdom in this new relationship that God has established with his people. We might call this gospel living. Living and being in a way that flows out from the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Our actions are explained by story. The apostles' teaching was applying the gospel story of Jesus to all of their lives. You know, we can't have one without the other. We can't just have gospel doctrine without implying it to our lives. It has to transform us. What we read, 
what we study, it has to transform us. It's not enough to just have head knowledge, to, to be Bible experts. It's not just enough so we can re- recite X amount of verses if it doesn't transform us. If that doesn't happen, then we have failed. You see, the gospel is not just facts to believe, but it's a story that we are to build our lives on. We need to be devoted to it like the early church were. The call to discipleship is to devote ourselves to the learning of the gospel message as revealed in scriptures and intentionally open up our lives to one another to see his message form and shape all we do. This is a process that happens slowly by the Spirit's power as we live in community with other believers. Growing to be more like Jesus is what we should all be striving for. This should be the aim of our life. There's many other things that we will pick up on as we move through uh, the book, as we move through the series. The resurrection is a big theme in the book of Acts. Leadership, suffering. Um, So hopefully you will enjoy it as we move through together. Please do consider joining our small groups as they start back uh, next week as well. We're going to have an online option as well if there's enough interest in that. Um, But my prayer, you know, is that as we look at all that was foundational in the early church, the the centrality of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, the community living, generosity, fellowship, evangelism, is that all of these things would characterize who we are as a church today. So let's learn together from the early church as to how we can be better at living as a church today. Let me pray. God, I thank you for just the early church. I thank you for uh, just the example that they are to us. We thank you for just their their boldness and their obedience um, to living out the gospel. We thank you for just that example of of community living, the the close-knit community that they enjoyed, the things that they had in common, the things that they valued. God, I pray that you would just help us as a church, to to value these things today, that you would just help us to be your church, the people who are are real as we just walk through life together, as we encourage one another, as we support each other, as we build each other up, as we pray for each other. Help us to, to live in this way. Help us to be people who are generous, people who are caring, who are loving to those around us and those who are out there. God, I pray that you just help us to be your hands and feet here in Finnecke. And God, I just pray that you'd be with us as a church, that you would bless us, that you would just, yeah, just help us as we seek to live lives that are faithful for what you have called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen.